Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Amen. Give someone a high five and you can have a seat and we will dive dive in. Uh, we have been in a series that has kind of been the theme of 2024 this year, which, which is the word better. Someone say better. better. 2024 is the year of better. And this, and this comes from a particular story in scripture, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, Mary and Martha. And I just want to read that for us today. Um, says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. I want to say distracted. Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried. Everyone say worried. And upset. Everyone say upset. Upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What we've been gleaning from from this story that has become the theme for 2024 for us individually and corporately as a church is that there's the way of Martha and the way of Mary. Martha's way is what culture wants. Uh, Culture wants you distracted, worried, and upset. The way of Mary is the way of being at the feet of and in the presence of Jesus, attentive and listening to him. And what we've been challenging our church to do is to take our lives and not look at being with Jesus as simply reading the Bible or praying, but realizing this can be the posture of our hearts and the reality of our lives, that we can be with him 24-7, 365 days. And so what we've said, the better way is being with Jesus. The better way is being with Jesus. And if you have missed any of the messages in this series, I want to encourage you to go back and check them out because we want to encourage you, strengthen you, and to say, how can you stay in this posture of being with Jesus, which is better? Jesus said she's chosen what is better. And so we're going to start a series of messages today that we're calling Better Relationships. Better Relationships, because isn't it true? Relationships that will push you to be with Jesus instead of pushing you away from Jesus. How many of you know that we are heavily influenced by the relationships we have? And there are relationships that will push us to being with Jesus and relationships that will push us being away from Jesus. And and within this series, we're going to talk about friendship. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about singleness. We're we're just going to dive into relationships and really say, how can we have the kind of relationships that pushes to being at the feet of Jesus instead of being away from Jesus? And so kind of the focus text today is going to be in the book of Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Let's go ahead and dive into this. It says, one day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. It says, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. 
So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. And the story continues there that Jesus healed the man, but didn't just heal the man. He actually became a follower of Jesus. And what I appreciate about this story is that when this man was paralyzed, when he could not help himself, he had friends that helped him. He had friends when this man wanted, was paralyzed, wanted to get to Jesus, could not get there himself, but he had friends around him, people around him that said, we know that there is not a way to get to him, so we are going to make a way for you to get to him. And these friends made a hole in the roof, lowered him down to get him where? At the feet of Jesus, the better way of being with him. And what I want to encourage us with is to see this story as a way that these are, the, these are the kinds of friends we are called to be and the kinds of friends you and I need in our lives. That when we are paralyzed and we can't help ourselves, we have friends that won't try to be the fixers. They will be the friends that will be the places that will push you towards being with and at the feet of attentive and listening to Jesus. And that you would be those kinds of friends that would push your friends to being at the feet of Jesus and that you would also if needed if you are paralyzed if you're at a place where you can't be in a better place with Jesus you would be willing to receive the help to have people help you better relationships relationships are hard eh and when when I think about the importance of better relationships and having friends in in our lives that push us towards Jesus, I can't not think about the purpose of the church. And what, and what I say is that in the United States, we have a crisis of discipleship. And what, I'm, and what I mean by that is the church is not short on knowledge. The, the church, like in the West, we are not short on research, scientific knowledge, and knowledge in general. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got a voice. We have Bibles galore, books galore. We are not short on knowledge. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Has all of that knowledge translated into followers of Jesus becoming more like Jesus? I would actually venture to say what it has done is it has made us head smart, life lacking, where we have so much more knowledge than what we actually practice what another way i've said it is we are educated beyond our obedience meaning we have so much knowledge but that knowledge hasn't led us to become more fully devoted holistic followers of jesus christ and i think a major reason for that is knowledge alone doesn't change us it can be a good starting point. It can be one of, the, one of the variables that leads to change. But one of the things that I think is deeply lacking in the Western church is the importance of accountability and example. Because here's the thing. Disciples need knowledge, accountability, and example. This is the model we see Jesus have. Jesus did not say, take a few classes, get knowledge, and you'll be my disciples. Jesus actually created an environment of discipleship that included teaching. Absolutely, we see Jesus teaching in Scripture. But Jesus also gave accountability, meaning he was not afraid to give correction when it was needed. 
And I think one of the major things that we can shy away from as we're following Jesus is other people speaking into our lives and maybe speaking a word of correction. That many church people would say, stop judging me. Right? Like, who are, who are you to judge me? And I just want to let, let y'all know that verse has been taken completely out of context. When Jesus said, you know, judge, you know, um, you, know you shouldn't ju- judge others or you'll be judged the same way you judge. He wasn't talking uh, about, like, because if that was the case, Jesus judged. He judged Peter whenever he was like, hey, Peter, you acting like Satan right now. You remember that? <laughs> He said, get behind me, Satan. You're trying to take me away from my purpose and what the God the Father has called me to do. What Jesus was saying there is don't judge people eternally. Don't sit on the throne that God alone sits on. on, Don't judge people eternally saying this person's going here, this person's going there, because there's only one person that has that job that that will eventually do that, and that is God who sits on the throne that will ultimately judge all of us. But what you actually hear Paul saying is, is that the church should actually judge itself. That the church does, does not practice that, but we do it with the right intention, with the right heart, with the right motive, with the right purpose of saying, if we don't speak correction into each other's, into each other's lives, we could potentially have blind spots. And, and, and so one of the things that I think, if we are not in relationship, if we don't have relationships, one of the things we can miss out on is one of the most vital pieces of our discipleship in becoming like Jesus, which is people that maybe see what we don't see. And I think one of the reasons why we have a disciple crisis is people want to hear messages on Sunday but don't want to receive correction from people individually. Because it's easy to come in here and listen to a sermon and just be like, well, you know, that might be about me. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me, but la, 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 la. You know, like, I don't want to hear it, you know, but... But when you get life on life, when you get in relationship, you get accountability. But what you also get is example. What you also get is example. Because one of the things that heavily influenced the disciples to be like Jesus wasn't just listening to what Jesus said. It was seeing what Jesus did. Imagine the courage and the boldness and the strength the disciples gained by seeing him walk on water. By seeing him heal, by seeing him suffer well, by seeing him obey the word of his father with courage and boldness when it caused him so much pain. To see him die on the cross, to see him resurrect from the dead. The disciples did not just hear from Jesus, they saw the kind of life that it took to please the father. And I just think of how many followers of Jesus that know so much but are lacking in an example of somebody that is living the kind of life they want to live. And that is, that is why Jesus put in place a model for how people become like him. Here's the thing. Jesus set the model for discipleship, becoming like him. And you know what the model is? It's following him together with a small group of people. And I, I just think we have to ensure that, that as we're talking about small groups and as we're encouraging you to join a group that you just know we just aren't asking you to be busy. We are not just asking you to fill your schedule with something else, with spiritual activity. But you see, as we're asking you to get involved in a smaller group of people, what we are inviting you to do is to join Jesus' model of discipleship. Because I think we, and this is why it's so important for us to know the ultimate purpose 
of the church because if we're not careful, you will think coming to a public gathering is church. This is a part of church, but this is not the totality of what the church is. We have said, I'm going to church. I agree, going, going to church is great, but at the same, same time, the church in and of itself, the purpose of the church is to make disciples. The purpose of the church is not to do a service. A service, a, a, a public weekly gathering is what the church has done for thousands of years. So th I'm not saying this is not vital, but we have to understand in the Western culture, going to a church service does not mean that this is all that church is. This is one of the ways and one of the things that can influence you as, as a variable for you to follow Jesus, but it's not the only way. The purpose of the church is to make disciples, and the, ultimately the church is a community of Jesus followers who are training, not trying to be like Jesus. And one of the main ways we see that Jesus trained his, his disciples was in a smaller group of people. And, and so really our job as the church is not to grow the amount of people that attend on Sundays. Thank God if more people show up, we're, we're glad about that. But at the same time, our goal then is when people show up is to get them from sitting in rows to sitting in circles, living life on life with other people. Because if you only come and sit in a service for two hours, some, I don't know, we have, we have long services here. So I just want to give y'all credit. Because we ain't the typical hour, hour 15 church. Sometimes we go hour 45, two hours. Appreciate y'all, right? <laughs> but that alone in and of itself is not sufficient to form and shape you and I to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Why? Because it lacks example. It can lack accountability. So you can get messages and you can feel good in worship. You can feel the Holy Spirit goosebumps. In worship and with the word, you can hear it. And these are all good things. But what I'm trying to tell you is that if you don't also accent that with accountability and example, you could be missing out on the two biggest variables that happen to help you fully know, follow Jesus. It's a smaller group of people. So my job as the pastor of this church is I can't disciple everybody, right? I can teach a lot of people, and this is what you see Jesus doing. Jesus taught a lot of people, but he could only personally disciple a few. So then my job as, as the pastor is to make sure we have an environment of discipleship. That we have an environment that when you come into the life of our church, you have somebody that you can plug into that then could be that you get teaching, but then also, too, you have someone that you would allow to speak into your life if you need correction. But also, too, you have somebody that you can then say, you know what, I wouldn't mind praying like that person prays. That's why I'm saying if you want to learn how to pray, I'm not even joking. Vicky could probably teach you prayer better than I could. But that's called the body of Christ being the body. My job is not to be the everything to everybody. My job is to ensure that we have people that are being empowered to be the hands and feet of Jesus and that are being empowered to, to walk in their giftings and to find what their giftings are and to empower them. And instead of you being connected just to myself, you are connected to a community of people, a community of disciples. I love what Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Basically saying, you can't see Jesus, but you can see me. 
And if you're going to follow Jesus, I'm a safe person to follow because I'm following him. So as you follow me, I'm following him. So you'll be following him. Though you can't see him, you can see me. And I want to be an example to you of who Jesus is. You need an example, church. You need people that you can talk to and see and, and, and feel and observe. And this is going to happen, y'all, as we get into smaller groups of community. I love what John Mark Homer said. He said, I am more and more convinced that the future of the church is smaller. It's around tables, not stages. It's relational. It's formational. It's prayer-based. Because for too long, the West has defined church as a gathering we come to to hear someone speak and to hear some songs from the worship team. Not downgrading that at all. It's important. It's necessary for what the church has done for thousands of years. We come together to gather. But I agree with what John Mark Homer says. Is that the way we're going to actually become disciples of Jesus holistically, mind, body, soul, spirit, knowledge, yes, but accountability. Not just accountability, but the other word that I can't think of right, right, right now. What was it? Exam- See? Thank you. I need to get my call. Do me have have my double shot espresso? Can you can you bring that over over here? No, I'm just I'm just kidding. But it's it's going to be around smaller environments. I love what what Pastor Rich Villodis said. He said if Jesus spent eight hours a day every day for three years with his disciples, he would have spent over eight thousand hours with them. And after all that time, they still had major gaps. Two hours a week on Sunday will never change people. We need a life that abides with him the better way with the support of others. This is one of the main reasons why we told you about this on Vision Sunday where the fourth Sunday every single month starting in February, we're not going to be meeting here on Sundays. We're going to be meeting in homes. Okay, I'm not sure for some of you that might be new. But one of the things that as we have felt this vision stir in us, not, not to focus on a large gap, which we're thankful for these gatherings, but we want to, to also intentionally say, we want to make sure that as we pray that God is growing and enlarging our church, we are intentionally trying to get in smaller environments. So one of the things we're, we're doing, like I said, the fourth Sunday, everyone say the fourth Sunday. Fourth Sunday of every month, we're, we're not meeting here. We're going to be meeting in homes. And, and we have the opportunity for you to host people in your home. So if you are interested, if you pray and you kind of feel the Lord stirring you to want to be a host home. Now, here's the thing. Being a host home doesn't mean you are a perfect Christian that knows everything. And the burden is going to be on you to teach and preach and do all of this stuff, okay? If you have a home and you want to host and you feel led to, to host, we're going to make sure you are equipped, you, you know what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but if you are interested in opening your home, and it can be a smaller group, six to eight people, it can be a bigger group if you have a bigger home. If you are just interested in getting more information about being a host home on the fourth Sundays of each month, um, you can text the word host to 757-690-2401, and we will, and we will reach out to you within the next couple uh, the next couple weeks as, as we're planning on saying, what is this going to look like for us corporately? Everybody good with that? But I hope y'all can see the purpose of the church is not to just grow a large gathering. The purpose of the church is to ensure you are surrounded. You have knowledge. You have example. 
and you have accountability because this is the model that Jesus put into place so people can be fully formed disciples, holistic disciples, mind, body, soul, and spirit to follow him. But let's examine this 12 real quick because I, I, I think Jesus put in place a model of a smaller group of people but also, too, let's examine to see what some of the characteristics of that smaller group of people had. Number, n- number one, these people were committed to following Jesus. And what I think we need to ensure that we know is you can be a cultural Christian but not a follower of Jesus. Everyone cool with that? A cultural Christian is somebody that says, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to let that influence and reorient my life around following him. And this is essentially what I believe Western Christianity has done, is we have said, say this prayer, but after you say this prayer to submit your life to God, it really doesn't matter what you do after that. It's just a get-out-of-hell-free card. And so that's, that's why you can see that we can be a cultural Christian by, by what the culture defines a Christian as, where say this prayer, have this mental assent to believing certain things, but then not having any of those beliefs infiltrate, dominate, and help us reorient what we're going to do with our lives day in and day out after that moment. And so I think we have to say, like, if, if we're going to follow Jesus, we are saying, I want my life to be reoriented around the life of Jesus so it can look as much like him as possible. And this is why we have to be careful. This is why we have to be careful to, to really do inventory and, and say, am, am I just wanting Jesus to save me from hell or do I want him to save me from the hell that I could potentially be in in my life right here, right now? Because I think... When Jesus said eternal life, he wasn't just saying when you die. He was saying even when you're living, it can start then. When Jesus said on earth as it is in heaven, he was praying that as an alive person. Saying, I I, I want in my life to bring more heaven to this earth in this midst of earthly hell. And this is what we get the opportunity to do. So these 12 disciples were committed to following Jesus. Every church is based on committed followers of Jesus. That is why I want to encourage you, become a part. If, if, if LifeHouse is your church home, one of the best things you can do is complete LifeTrack so you can know what our heart is for you. And if you don't know, if you don't know what LifeTrack is, LifeTrack is the five-part course that we have created uh, for, for you to become an official member of our church. And the reason we do that isn't saying, well, to be a member at our church or to do anything in our church, you have to be a member. We, we, you know, there are some, there's a lot of things in our church you don't have to do to be, or like that you can do, even if you're not in, if you're not an official member. But what we're saying is, is that when there is commitment there, we think something in the spirit happens. That when you commit yourself to a body, a church, a, a community of disciples, what that does is it breeds something in the spirit in the same way you can date someone for 17 years, but when there is commitment, things change. You, you, you know what I'm saying? If you were to, you know, I got some couples, yeah, we were married for, or we were together for seven years, we were married, or we were together for five, and, and married for two, and it's amazing, they always say, when we got married, something changed. Why? Because there was commitment, and I believe what happens whenever we commit to a body, a church, a community of disciples, something in the spirit happens. Why? Because it's, it's not like if something happens, I'm gone. Right? It actually creates a spirit of commitment. 
And that's what these disciples had. When everyone left, John chapter 6, many turned away from following him. Jesus looked at the 12, and he said, hey, y'all going to be gone too? They said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We ain't going nowhere. There was commitment. There was commitment. We see that from the 12. Number two, though, these 12 were diverse. You talk about the diverse backgrounds of these disciples. Jesus didn't go out and say, I want pure-blooded Jews, those that believe politically what, what I believe, those that eat the same things, believe the same things, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to build this Jesus movement on the same kind of people. This brother went out and got an eclectic group of people. He got fishermen who were fishermen. You ever heard that thing, cussing like a sailor? I imagine they had some, some words. As Peter, right? Peter was one of the head, the head fishermen when he was denying Jesus. He denied Jesus, and the scripture says he called down curses. Imagine Jesus, or imagine Peter. I don't know that blanky blank, 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 you know. Jesus called fishermen. Jesus called a tax collector who was a person that was not the, like the least in the society. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst because they were the ones taking advantage of the Jewish people. Can you imagine these tax collectors taking advantage of people like Peter and Andrew, the fishermen? He probably took advantage of them with their taxes, and now they're following this guy, Jesus. You think of Thomas. He was the doubter. He was the person asking a million questions, believing nothing he saw. Wanting to say, is, 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 you know, just trying to see if this is a scam. You had Simon the Zealot, which was like a political terror terrorist. He was a guy that wanted everything, like hated the Roman government. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is so you can know. I want to encourage you that if you are going to get in a small group of people, you want to be in as diverse of an environment as you can possibly have. Instead of doing the in the Cultural in, the cultural inclination to find a group of people that believe what you believe about everything, that vote the same way you vote, that all of this stuff, strive to get around a diverse group of people that will challenge you in the environments you grew up in to help you see things a different way. I think that's one of the main reasons why Jesus did that. He called people from different backgrounds, different, different personalities, because he wanted them, them to know amongst all your differences, I will be the constant. I will be the thing that will pull us together in the midst of all your personal identity, Amen. political differences. I'm going to be the glue. Amen. And I believe we need to ensure that, that we find diverse environments. Also, too, though, man, these were flawed people and needed correction, redirection. So if you're looking for a perfect group of people in, in our church, I would love to invite you to go to a different one. <laughs> because if you are in a church, you are with a group of flawed people. And this can be one of the hardest pills to swallow. And the reason why many of you left church for many years is because your expectation is that people would be better than they were. And then, like I said, this can be one of the hard pills to swallow, that, that in a church that we think people are going to live up to our expectations, and what I would encourage you to do, lower your expectations. Why? Because people are people, and people will people. <laughs> they will, even Christians, even those that follow Jesus. Why? Because they are in process. 
I can guarantee if you're at our church long enough, I will disappoint you. I will miss a text message. I will miss an email. I will do something. And you will be tempted to be like, well, Pastor John doesn't like me. He didn't, you know, and, or, or this life group leader didn't do that. And this person said this. And this person did that. And this person posted this on social. And da, 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 da. And, and, it, and it's like, then we will equate what that person did with who Jesus and the church is. Instead of it, of it being like, you know what, the expect, like these, these people are going to fail me. I mean, the expectations are huge in relationships. Some of y'all, when you got married, you thought it was going to be peaches and cream. And it ain't been that. You had this ideal, and it hasn't been met. So then you think, well, this, maybe this isn't the person for me. And, da, da, da. And, and I just think we have to make sure that we understand the disciples were flawed people that needed a lot of correction, a lot of grace. And just know, as you want to receive grace, make sure you're giving it. And, and so I just think it's important to know Jesus did not call perfect people. He called called people and gave them an environment of safety. But he also just didn't make the environment so safe that he never corrected. Jesus did a lot of correcting. Like when his disciples were arguing about who is the greatest, they were arguing about who is the greatest around Jesus. But what I love is Jesus didn't condemn them for wanting to be great. He redefined what greatness was. He said great. He, he, he didn't say, hey, quit wanting to be great. He said, no, let me tell you what real greatness is. Greatness is serving. And, 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 and these are the kind of environments we need because some of you have desires and you're like, I have this. And, and you need someone to be able to speak into your life and let you know that's not a bad desire, but it's, the, it's a desire that needs to be sanctified. It's a desire that needs to be infiltrated with Jesus and his way. And so I just pray you know any group you're a part of, anything you're a part of at our church, man, it's, it's going to be ugly. Because people are ugly. We're all in process. Fourth, you see, with, with the 12, Jesus had friendship and mission working together. And this is one of the things that I think is so important that as we are going into small groups, is that small groups are a place for friendship. We want you to find friends, but also to know friendship is not sufficient enough because we see this in Jesus' ministry. He was friends with his disciples, but he was also training them to change the world. You all hear me? He had friendship and mission working together. And I think as people, some of us can have a proclivity towards one or the other, either or instead of both and. So you come to church and you get in a small group and you want friends. And you're like, I don't care what we're doing. I don't want, you know, who, who cares about discipleship? I just need friends, right? Or you, or you, or you have some, some people, they're like, we're here for content. We're, we're here to grow. Who cares about relationships? I think we can kind of have those proclivities, right? But what I think Jesus calls us to have is a desire for both. Jesus was friends with his disciples. I know he laughed with them. He ate with them. He did the friendly stuff, but also Jesus, through their friendship, he had a purpose beyond where they were, where he was friends with them, but in that friendship, it was a way for him to also train up and raise them and release them into the call and gifting that they had. And I just want to encourage you, as, as you get in a smaller group of people, desire friendship, yes, but also don't forget mission. Some of you desire mission, but don't forget the friend friendship. It's not either or, it's both and. Does this make sense? Yes. These are the kind of environments, the 12 that we're hoping to cultivate 
at Lifehouse. Lastly, a snapshot of, of the 12. It was in a smaller group of people that was the context to practice. Everyone say practice. Practice loving each other. You know, marriage is funny because marriage is the place where you have a context for putting in place what the Bible and what Jesus asks you to do. How many of y'all know I can, it's easy to love people when you're not around them. It's easy to think good thoughts when you aren't around stress. And one of the reasons why I think Jesus said, hey, you're going to follow me, but you're going to do it with a group of people, is he wanted them to have a context to practice what he was exampling for them to do. When Jesus said, love each other, I give you this new command, love each other the way that I've loved you. And that you love each other as I'm about to go and die for people that don't deserve it. Die for people that are going to be mocking me and cursing me. The very people that I created, I'm going to die for them and they're going to be mocking me. Jesus didn't just tell them to love. He showed them love. And, and, and when we get in the context of a smaller group of people, it gives us the place to practice loving one another. And so if we look at our relationships as a context to practice, that takes off then you putting on people a burden they can't bear. Because many of us go into relationships with this deep need of something from the person. I need affirmation. I need approval. I need you to complete me. I need you to meet my expectations. And when you do that, you're actually setting the relationship up to fail because you're not seeing the relationship in the right context. People can never fill a God-sized need. And when you put a God-sized burden on a finite person, when they fail you, you will damn them. And you will find, and this is what we do marriage, right? We go into marriage. This person needs to complete me. This person needs to make up for the wounds I have from my dad. This person needs to make up for the love and affirmation and approval I did not get growing up. So then you're taking these maybe conscious, unconscious demands and needs and putting them on a finite person. And when they don't give you that... Instead of going into the marriage saying, you can't complete me, God completes me. And I'm going to find my completion in him. Because when I find my completion in him, when I find my, and this is why the first thing marriage counseling, marriage coaching we do at our church, it can't just be working on the practical side of the relationship. It's got to be the personal side in their relationship with God. Because many times the personal relationship with God fixes a lot of the practical junk going on. Because the issue is the fact that they are trying to find in the other person that they need to start finding in God. And, and so when, when we understand relationships are the context for where we practice, and that's why we use the word training over trying. We say we're not trying to be like Jesus because we, we can't try hard, hard enough. But you know what we can do? We can train. We can practice. We can see relationships as the place where we get to practice. Talking about practice. Remember what Iverson said? Practice. Talking about practice. There's over 51 another's in the Bible. Love one another, encourage each other. These one another's, the place we practice is in the context of relationships. I love, what's this guy named? I think, it's, I think his name is um, Scott Hubbard. He says this. 
I sometimes think I could be very holy if after doing my morning devotions, I just stayed in my room all day long. I find that patience, for example, comes easier by myself. Peace, too. I feel a general kindness and goodwill when I'm alone. I imagine myself ready to bear others' burdens. But then I leave my room and begin interacting with some of those others face-to-face. And before long, I wonder where my holiness went. Patience now feels fragile. Peace goes on the retreat. My theoretical kindness finds itself unprepared for real annoyances. And my shoulders seem too weak for real burdens. People, it turns out, have an irritating way of poking the spiritual fruit on my table, only to reveal just how many of those apples and pears are plastic. Then he says this. He says, around 50 times in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles tell us to feel, say, or do something to one another. We are to care for one another, bear with one another, honor one another, sing to one another, do good to one another, and forgive one another. And then there is the grand, overarching, most repeated one another, the command that binds everything together in perfect harmony, love one another. But relationships are the place where we get to practice this. So if you come to a church and you don't realize the church is a, a, church is a small community of disciples, that, 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 that the church becomes the context for where you get to practice forgiving people that mistreat you, when if you have the expectation everybody should be perfect, when somebody isn't perfect, then you'll be like, the church is bad, people are bad, and you'll project on the church. You see what, you see what I'm saying? It, like... So that's, that's why when, when we commit to the church, we're just not committing to an organization. We're committing to a people. We're committing to a body of saying, I'm going to work. I'm going to treat this as practice and training so I can live out the commands to love one another. All right, here's the here's thing. You're like, John, this is great. I know you're trying to convince me to join a small group, okay? And you might say, but John. But John. But PJ. But, but, but Pastor John, right? Let me, let me just share with you what I'm thinking. Number one, people suck. <laughs> if it's your first time here, look, this, I teach real. Just right, some of y'all are like, people suck. And here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the thing, right? I don't want to dismiss the pain and real pain and real, ish, and real things you've experienced, especially in the church. For some of y'all, I just want to apologize on, on, on behalf of the experiences you've had. I really do, because I know people have genuinely failed you. I know people have let you down, that you had high expectations for, including pastors, ministers, whatever. And on behalf of them, I want to say, if they never said they're sorry, I'm sorry. Because it is absolutely true. People, you're like, you know, whatever that says, right? Right? I, I understand. Secondly, you might say, but John, like, I don't, I don't want to be judged. And I think the issue could, 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 could be you have not rightly seen the purpose of correction. That when most of the time when somebody corrects you, it's from a heart of love. When somebody corrects you, the job of the person correcting is to separate what you do from who you are in Christ. Even sometimes this can be hard as parents. And what I tell my child is I tell them, you are not stupid, but what you did was really stupid. When you took that golf club and hit your brother, 
I'm not saying that happened. I'm just saying it could have happened in the where home. You aren't stupid, but that was stupid, right? And, and I, because I think some of y'all, what has held you back for years is you aren't willing to be corrected. You are scared. Yeah, and, and really the word for that is teachable. And, 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 what I'm, and th- there's going to be times where people are going to correct or reach out in love and share, hey, I, I think this. And, you know, sometimes the people given teaching and stuff like that can be a little, a little harsh. And this is not saying that every decision, you know, because like some of y'all have been in real controlling environments where you can't buy a car, you can't do nothing without asking. The, this is not that. This is just saying if you are close enough to people, they will see things that you don't. But some of y'all don't want to get close enough to people for them to see anything. And what you're doing is you're protecting yourself, but typically protecting yourself, you, yeah, you could, you could be harmed. And, and then you might say, well, I, John, I've been hurt. And what I, what, I, what I want to say is there is this cycle in relationships that is undoubtedly true within the church that we, we have to acknowledge, right? So just go ahead and put that up, right? Like you've like, love, in order to love anybody, anything requires you to be vulnerable. Right? If love is going to be built in a church, it's not going to be done from a massive distance. It's going to be done from proximity. But getting in proximity means you have to have a certain level of vulnerability. But what the church likes to do is you like to put up a front. That's why we like to attend a service but not get into a smaller group of people that we follow Jesus with. Because there's a level of safety with that. On a Sunday, what's up, dog? You good? Yeah, bro. Just trying to be like you, man. Holla. You know, like, so it's gym talk, which isn't bad. It can have its its place. But if we're trying to really come together and, and, and follow Jesus in smaller groups, there will have to be a point at some point with the speed, your comfortableness, in God's grace, mercy, and strength, you'll have to, you know, you'll have to practice a level of vulnerability. With that, vulner- with that vulnerability, though, you becomes the opportunity to be hurt. And that's one of the hard things, is that in order to receive and give genuine love, you have to also open yourself to being hurt. And not if you get hurt, but when you get hurt, you're going to have a choice. You're going to have a choice to do what? Love. Now, in saying that, that does not mean you don't have, bound- you don't have boundaries in place if someone's hurt you. Okay, this does not mean throw aside what people do if people have destructive patterns. And this is true for marriage. It's true for a lot of relationships, right? You can love somebody. You can love them with boundaries. Even Jesus had boundaries. I love how Jesus, there was this one place that he was going to go, and then Jesus heard, they're going to kill you if you go there. Do you know what Jesus did? He didn't go. (laughs) Well, that's not loving. Well, (laughs) Jesus didn't want to die. So he said, I'm not going to be in an environment where I'm going to be killed. I'm going to put in place a boundary, right? But we don't have the choice not to love. And, and, and so as many of you have been in church, you've been hurt and, and, stu- and stuff like that, my prayer and hope is, is, is that you would know you might be protecting yourself, but you're also protecting yourself from the potential of love and growth as you're keeping a distance from relationships. 
So what, what, so here are some final thoughts. All right, keyboard player, come up. Because everything sounds better when you have the keyboard behind you. All right, some, some final thoughts ab- about being in a smaller group of people following one Jesus with. Number one, joining a group or getting in a smaller group of people is less about the content and more about the relationship. Because like I said, content is not the issue in our world. Relationship is. Example is. And secondly, like joining a group is less about what you can consume and more about what you can contribute. Because some of y'all are like, well, what am I going to get out of this group instead of saying, what can I give in this group? Because one of the main things you can offer is yourself. See, we will look at groups and we'll be like, well, there's nothing that I want to grow in. You might want to like knock on the door of the Holy Spirit one more time and be like, hey, Spirit, can you, know, can you talk to me about this? And the Spirit might, might say, hey, you've got experience in prayer. Maybe I want you to go and be a voice and be a person in Vicky's group to go and be another voice of experience in the group because it's not what you're going to get. It's what you're going to add. But realize that as you're actually contributing to the group, you're going to get more than you could ever get going to consume the group. Y'all hear me. And I think that's important for a lot of seasoned folks in here who have been following Jesus a long time. What the younger generation needs isn't more, it needs your example. We need mothers and fathers in the faith. That's why what I love in our church, in a movie theater church, we have a lot of seasoned saints coming. I'm like, why are y'all coming here? I'm glad they are. But what, what, what I love seeing is that many of them, Vicki, Mom, Mama Lee, Arthur Lee, Deveria, Bravana, these older saints are saying, I want to be a mother or father in the faith to those that are new. I want to be an example. I want to be an actual physical example of Jesus that they can say, follow me as I have followed and am following Christ. Now, this is what our church needs. And that's why there's no judgment for where you are. Because we're all at a different place in the family of, of God. So, my challenge today is, hey, let's take a step towards better relationships. Getting into a smaller group of people so we can practice the model that Jesus set up. And so we can continue the journey of being uncommon disciples to follow Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a a legacy. Did you hear my heart today? Let's go ahead and stand up. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.